0: Get to see everyone here uh, tonight. Um, I'm so grateful for Agape Church and um, the leaders here, the worship team. I feel like last time I was here, I was a full blonde, and now I'm a hombre. Now I'm just kind of even, know. I'm like making up terms I saw on Instagram, you know. But um, I, I really believe God has a word for us this evening, and it's a word that I myself need God to speak to me afresh. Like, like I need God to um, not just speak it through me, but, but I need him to speak this to me uh, because I, I really believe this is a word that God wants to pierce our hearts with. Um, and, and I'm praying that God would, would wound me with his word. In Proverbs, it says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, right? But an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, someone who doesn't really love you will flatter you, but only someone who loves you will tell you the truth. And tonight, I'm, I'm wanting God to speak to us the truth, right? That he loves us so much that he'll speak to us in truth. Um, so let's, let's pray together. Uh, I want to read from Hosea chapter 12, verse 10, or, or chapter 10, verse 12. Which is it? Yep, 10 verse 12. Gotcha. No, just kidding. I was confused too. Um, But I want to read a lot of different verses tonight. Amen. Is that cool that we do that in church, right? But I want to start with Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. And this is what it says. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground. Other translations say fallowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Let's pray together. God, we believe now is the time to seek you. I believe all of my brothers and sisters are here tonight, driving from close, far, really far, because they're hungry for you. God, we don't want to play games. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want religion. We want the real thing. So help us tonight to receive your word. Can we just pray for our own heart, our own soul right now? Let's just say, I'll put a hand on your heart. Let's just pray. Just pray your own prayer. God, break up the fallowed ground. Break up the unplowed ground. Let us receive what you have for us tonight. God, pierce us with your word. Do what gifting can't do. Do what eloquent words can't do. Do what a nice vibe or, or great music can't do. We need the spirit of the living God. So pierce our hearts tonight. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Joel chapter One. if you had turned to Hosea you're in luck because it's one page over, but Joel chapter one, and I want to read a little bit about it, a little bit of two. then I want to jump to chapter three, but our main text is going to be from Joel chapter two verse twelve through thirteen but I kind of want to just set up the the stage of What's happening in this text, in this moment, in the life of of Joel the prophet? Because I feel like it it mirrors the time that we're living in today, right? So Joel chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail, because of the new wine, for it has been snatched. From your lips I want to pause here for a moment I feel like you could take a snapshot of what the last 18 20 months have looked like and I feel like we can make it parallel to our generation right like it's something that none of us has ever lived through or seen before I'm not trying to be like whoa woe is me I'm not trying to like prophesy at the end times right don't don't cancel me yet okay right? the cancellation's coming later don't cancel me yet right and, and I feel like what he, uh, when he goes on to say the lo- locusts have eaten this, and after that, an- another group of locusts have come. In other words, we've been bombarded by constant issues in culture, in society, in politics. Are you with me tonight? Like, we're, we're constantly hit over and over again. Finally, we think we have some breathing room, and another swarm of locusts have come. We think, oh, finally, some relief, and, and then another one comes. And the last part in this passage, it says, Well, because of the new wine has been snatched from your lips. Now, this is my opinion, but I believe a lot of what we've experienced this past year was the new wine being poured into old wineskins. And what does Jesus say happens when that happens? The old wineskin rips. It tears. And I think a lot of the issues and struggles that we see and strife that we've experienced even within the church is God just doing a new work within us, getting us ready for something. Right? The rest of the text, it goes into, you got to get ready. Things are are falling apart. You're in a pandemic. Like, crazy stuff. Right? But I want to jump real quick to verse 25 in chapter 2. And this is what God is about to do. It says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm. Jump to verse 28. This is the same passage that's found Uh, when Pentecost comes, and says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So we see crisis after crisis after crisis. We see a call to wail, to mourn, to, to, you know, respond to the Lord, because we know on the other side is redemption, is restoration, is revival. Amen. But the turning point of that is actually found in the middle of chapter 2, which is our main text for tonight. And it says this, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity, right? So we see destruction, crisis, and then on the other side of what God is about to do is redemption, restoration, revival, but all of that hinges on what? Us returning to the Lord with all our hearts, right? There is God's part, and yet there is our part. And I really believe we're living in the time where we as the people of God must respond and return to the Lord because so much of it hinges on what is about to come. Right? We're able to do that. Why? Because the Bible tells us he's kind, he's patient, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. That's why we can return. But yet it still calls for us to return. I, I believe every single one of us are here tonight because God wants to grip our hearts to return to him In this moment in time. One of the words that as our our team at Pursue we were praying for and turning to at the beginning of this year was the word repentance. We felt like that was our theme and with it was the word remnant. You know that God doesn't need majority to do what he wants to do. He's looking for those that will simply respond and say yes no matter the cost. I mean think about when God is about to judge cities and he's talking with, with Abraham. And Abraham says, this, if there are even 25 people, right? He starts at like a, a larger number. He, he continually goes down. But God's like, Yo, even if there's only 25 people, I'll relent. Like you, you see the power of what God can do with the remnant that is devoted to him. So, so all that to say, we're not interested in gathering the masses to create a great event we're looking for those who are hungry and are willing to respond to the Lord because now is the time to turn to him. Turn with me to one more place in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And it says this, Repent, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent so that your sins might be forgotten, forgiven, and so that times of refreshing may come. Right? Am I the only one here that, that needs a refreshment from the Lord? Right? It's been a weary season, if we can call this a season. Right? This has been a long year and a half. I feel like the past 18 months have been unlike anything we've ever experienced before, just like in Joel 1. And I, like I said, it's damage, destruction, deforestation. That's what the Israelites were experiencing here. And they believed that it would take years to recover what they just, just experienced. In, in terms of conversations I've had with friends and different sermons and, and talks that I've listened to throughout this past year, a, a lot of counselors say that any traumatic experience that is about a month starts to create anxiety within a person. If you're in a situation or circumstance that takes you out of your normal six-month routine, you actually start to develop PTSD. So think about this. The entire globe is experiencing PTSD. Anyone here sports fans? Remember when, like, basketball and baseball, they started going back to uh, uh, fans were able to come? Fans were acting out. You guys remember? They're, like, jumping in the field. They're, like, acting wild. Like, what's going on? Like, they forgot how to be, like, in society, you know? But all of us are, are still adjusting. A lot of people believe it will take years for us to kind of recalibrate and come back to normal. I mean, this is not what just some of us are experiencing. This isn't just what uh, people on the front lines are experiencing. It's every single person on earth. Like, this is the times that we're living in. And, and I think because of that, as believers, because we want to be faithful to the Lord, amen, like, it's hard because we don't know how to respond to so many of the issues that are plaguing society today. I mean, think about last year once again. Like, I know we've been through this over again. I'm, like, triggering people's PTSD as I speak right now. But I know of churches where they're struggling on how do I navigate social justice? How do I navigate the pandemic? Can I be honest? I went to seminary, right? Right? I have the debt to prove that I went to seminary. And I've never once took a class on how to lead through a pandemic before. I've never learned how to deal with racism from the pulpit before. Like, Like these are things that none of us have been trained for, and yet this is what we're thrusted into. I know of churches where people left because the pastor would not talk enough about justice. I know other churches where people left because they talk too much about justice. Can I be honest for a moment? Most pastors, including myself, we're not qualified to speak on issues in society like social justice. I'm not an expert in that field, nor am I an expert on vaccine. I'm about to get canceled after this message. right. Thank you, brother. I'm always accepted here. All right. Disclaimer. Whatever comes out of my mouth does not reflect the opinions of Agape Church or or their leadership, right? You guys are safe, right? These these are my own, okay? Y'all are good. Right? Because we are not trained to to, to do these things. And so many of my pastor friends, leader friends, they're, they're, they're struggling. So many have wanted to quit or have quit because how do you operate in this moment? Kevin and I recently went to a conference in North Carolina where one of the speakers was talking about churches that he knows where literally half the congregation left because the pastor said, we're wearing masks. And another church where they lost half their members because they said, we're not wearing masks. I mean, think about even as as something as simple as masks can divide a church. I mean, that's the time we're living in where there's so much polarization. Even for myself, when it comes to things of TVs or movies, I'm checking Reddit or, or Twitter to see, should I like this or not? Right? Should I watch Squid Game or not? Let's see the consensus. Right? Let's base my opinion on what won't get me canceled. Are, are you hearing me tonight? Right? We're constantly bombarded by these things in society. Right? I've been an Asian American for most of my life Right. because I immigrated here. Before that, I was just Asian. And once I moved here, I was Asian-American, okay? So for most of my life, I have been Asian-American. And can I be honest? You might think I'm ignorant or or what's the opposite of woke? Asleep. I don't know, right? But even for myself, I had to Google what what AAPI was in the beginning of the year. I've been Asian-American my entire life. I have never heard this acronym before. All that to say things are constantly changing at the speed of your fingertips on your phone. Gender identity, sexuality, pronoun, like things that we don't want to touch are happening right now. And we as believers are thrusted in there where we don't know what to do. So can I be real tonight? So for many Christians, we either lean on critical theory or we lean on conspiracy theory. Right? I'm just being honest. We're either going social justice or we're still prophesying Trump's about to be president. Right? Just being really honest tonight. And in the midst of critical theory, conspiracy theory, we got to leave theories behind and come back to truth. Amen? You know what truth is? It's not information. It's a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so many of us were confused on how to navigate this. What am I supposed to do? Our calling has never changed even in the midst of a pandemic because we were never called to do something, build something, make something, but we've been called to the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what the enemy will do. He'll throw great causes on you to distract you from the Great Commission. I'm not saying these great causes are bad or wrong or we shouldn't educate ourselves or, or, or be socially aware. But can we, be, can we together say those are periphery to the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. We've always been called to a person. Everything we do flows from our relationship with the person. And I believe that's what God is calling us to. That's the repentance that we need to do. Not so much for our sins or our compromises or our failures or whatever, but making it about something else. When it's always been about Jesus, it's coming back to him. I think in the midst of all of that, right? Like who here wants to be known as like socially unaware? No one, right? We want to have a voice. We want to be wise. We want to do all these things. And yet all of us are called to the person of Jesus. I mean, do you know how hard it is in 2021 to be a leader? To be a pastor? Like, to be a pastor in 2021, you have to be a social media influencer. Man, you don't have a podcast? What? I'm not going to your church. Like, you're not on TikTok. Gen Z is lost forever. Like, a main senior leader has to be an influencer, has to be a dynamic communicator, has to be a motivator of people, a recruiter of leaders, a counselor, socially aware, a graphic designer. I do all the graphics at Pursuit. We need interns, anyone, right? Because that's really the challenge. We're expected to do all these things. And if we fail in one category or we offend one person, guess what? They're leaving the church. They're literally making Instagrams to attack the leadership of the church. Like, do you understand what we're living in? People don't even know how to be civil with one another, let alone be Christian in this time. Like, we have to come back to Jesus and his ways. All that to say, all of these things have exposed us for what's really there. I know for me it has. Like, it's exposed my prayerlessness. It's exposed my lack of hunger for the word. I mean, for many of us, we were quarantined at home. And we're like, finally, I have time to read the Bible. But, but we binge watch on Netflix. Come on, any guilty, don't raise your hands, right? Because my hands will have to go up too. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's exposing what's really there. Can I say this? Repentance has been seen as a negative thing. Just like Kevin shared, surrender has been seen as a negative thing. But did you know repentance is the greatest gift that God can give us? In Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. I feel like I say this every time I preach because it's such a startling fact that it has to wake us up as the people of God. Think about all the advancements in science and technology and medicine where life expectancy has gone up like never before, right? Like, I I forgot what I was reading about, but this is what happens when you just, like, Google random things all the time, you know? I I don't know where I read this or why I read it. I think I was, like, looking up something about George Washington or something. I don't know, right? At one point, the life expectancy of males was 39 years old. That means Jay should have been dead, right? (laughs) Right? That means I'm joining him in many years, okay? Right? But think about how much longer people live today. But check this out. Do you know that our generation, the upcoming generation's life expectancy is actually going in reverse? No, it's not because they're not getting vaccinated, right? I'm going to get canceled after this. It's actually because Drug overdose and suicide rates are at the highest it's ever been in human society. I mean, we have to see not just COVID as a pandemic, but what's happening to the younger people today right now as an epidemic. Like We've never seen young people die at this rate before. So much so, our generation's life expectancy is going backwards. I believe the reason why is because we've told people nothing is sin. Nothing is sin. You know what breeds um, anxiety more than anything? Prosperity with boredom. Because we've robbed people of understanding what is right from wrong because, yo, live your truth. But what happens if your truth is sin? It leads to death. So if you're already dead on the inside, what does it matter? But what is the gift? What is the answer? It's repentance from the Lord. That's gift from God to turn from our wicked ways and find the life in him. Amen. This is what the Bible tells us once again. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. How do we get there? Through repentance, through returning to the Lord. And the more we're quiet about repentance, more a generation will die. That's the gift that we have to offer them. Why? Because there's life in Jesus Jesus says it so clearly, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life to the fullest. But because it's an upside-down kingdom, you have to lose your life to find it. What is that process? Repentance and returning and surrender to the Lord. This is the times that we're living in. I think one of the the biggest buzzwords of, of what we're living through right now is the word deconstruction. Right, deconstructing my family roots, decon like, sometimes I like TikTok, right? Just cause I like the like stupid stuff, but then I see like a lot of like young people that like don't know anything but are trying to be woke. You know, they're like, I eat noodles for breakfast because I want to decolonize food. I'm like, what? Like, when was food ever colonized? And you're saying it in the white man's language, English. They're just saying all these crazy things that don't even make sense because we're all deconstructing something, our faith, church, whatever. But can I say something tonight? We have to leave the ways of the world behind. Do you know that deconstruction is a technical term developed by French philosophers that were inspired by Nietzsche? You know what Nietzsche said, right? He said, God is dead. He's the influencer behind deconstruction. And we have to take up the ways of God, which is what? Reformation. When Martin Luther nailed the the 95 Thesis, he wasn't deconstructing. He was causing a reformation of faith to take place. Are you hearing me? Deconstruction seeks to undermine. Like, that's how it is. Once again, you're either going critical theory or conspiracy theory. You're either going LGBTQ or you're going QAnon, right? Like, that's literally the moment we're living in. I'm getting canceled from everybody. But yet, once again, it's Christ at the center of it all. We can't lose that in the midst of our pursuit of whatever it is. Because that's what it's always been about. I think because, once again, I'm just trying to set up the climate we're living in. No wonder so many have lost heart. No wonder so many have quit or have wanted to quit. I think for many of us, like I said, the enemy will try to use great causes to burden us away from the Great Commission. If the enemy can't get you to compromise, he'll cause you to be too busy for intimacy with Jesus. Right? I'm not going to say this to boast about my character, but if someone came to me and said, Sam, yo, come with me to the parking lot. I'm like, all what's right, that?" he's like, bro, I got mad cocaine for you. I'm not saying this to boast about my character, but I'm like, I'm, I'm really not interested. You know, like, I'm not tempted by that. But you know what I would be tempted by? Ministry opportunities that keep me from intimacy with Jesus. I'm just being honest. Man, I'm preaching at this retreat, that retreat. I'm preaching at this revival, that praise night. And before I know it, you know what the enemy will do because he knows I won't do drugs, right? This is just... This might suck as an example. I might never use this again, right? I hope you're with me, right? Right? Thanks, Kevin. Right? What was I trying to say? That, that he will cause us to focus on the work of the Lord more than on the Lord of the work. Like, that's what he would do. He would cause us to get caught up in good things to keep us from the ultimate thing of, once again, is Jesus And the question, I believe, why so many of us have wanted to quit or have quit is because the enemy knows more than, better than us, that revival is coming. Like, do you believe it? That revival is coming? Amen? Revival is coming. And I believe the reason why revival hasn't come yet, out of the mercy of God, is that there haven't been enough leaders prepared and ready for the harvest to come. The enemy can't stop the harvest. Why? Because Jesus says, look in the fields, the the harvest is ready, it's ripe. So he doesn't tell us to pray for the harvest. What does he tell us to pray for? For the workers. If the enemy can get leaders off of their job to lead, and I'm speaking to every leader here, amen. I don't care if you have a title, I don't care if you're ordained, I don't care what you do at the church, you are a leader. Why? We're all called to lead people to Christ, amen. It's not just for evangelists. It's for all disciples. And if, and if the leaders aren't positioned to do the work, who will reap the harvest? Are you with me? Not only that, who will disciple the harvest to come? And if the enemy can get leaders to quit, the harvest has to wait even longer. But it's already ready right now. He's causing us to lose heart. But it's once again coming back to The person of Jesus, his teaching, and his ways. I think what God is looking for in this moment are disciples, amen. Our disciples. Like, I don't, you know, I like, on a broader scale, I'll call myself Christian, but that's not the term I go for because today, right now, anyone could be a Christian. Like, you could be a progressive Christian where you believe Jesus has come to do justice. It's like, nah, bro, he came to die for our sins, right? Like, you could be a practicing homosexual Christian, right? You could be a heterosexual Christian that's sleeping around. Right? I'm going after everybody tonight. Like we, and we could still call ourselves Christian, but you're not, like, that's a term we just throw out casually, but I'm a disciple where I orient my life on the person of Jesus, his ways, and his teaching. Like, God loves us, amen? God's love for us is eternal. His grace is forever. You know what is it? Time. Like, he's so gracious to us that he has grace forever, but he's also given us a window of time to respond to the Lord. Like, that's his grace. Like, God loves us so much. He loves the sinner. But he loves us so much. He also judges the sin. We can't get it twisted. He doesn't show up to the rich young ruler and say, bro, take your time. Enjoy your life. Contemplate this for a moment. He says, leave everything behind and follow me right now. He comes to Peter and the disciples, follow me. And in that moment, what do they, they do? Respond by leaving everything behind. Let's not get twisted that God loves us so much that he'll let us do whatever we want. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says this, only he who picks up the cross and follows me is worthy to be my disciple. Friends, you're worthy of love no matter what, but you're only worthy to be his disciple if you pick up the cross and follow him. Like we have to preach the fullness of his word because there is a love, a declaration, a demonstration, but also there must be a decision. One of the most powerful stories that I see in scripture or not just in Scripture, in church history, is of people being baptized. Did you know in the early church days that because they were persecuting Christians, killing Christians, martyring Christians, that they would go to, you know, a river or wherever Christians are being baptized. And as soon as they came out, the Roman soldiers would kill them. But they would kill them on the spot to say, yo, this faith is uh, illegal. This is a cult. This is wrong. Right? It opposes Caesar. And if you choose today to be baptized and declare yourself a Christian, you are dead. And to their amazement, what they saw was that people saw this. They saw their friends get killed in the moment, and yet they still chose to be baptized. Let us not get it twisted on, on what God is calling from us as his people. Anyone here ever read the book Jesus Freaks before? Right? It's based on this song by DC Talk. Right, Jay, you would have died in the 1800s. Like, you know that book, right? Or DC Talk. Dang, I'm the, I'm the, I mean, maybe I'm a hot about here, right? All right, thanks, Janet, right? My sister right there. Yeah, right? So G- DC Talk, this group, right? I think Toby Mac, he's like a solo artist. He's from that group. They had this song called Jesus Freaks. And with it, they had this two series compilation uh, of testimonies called Jesus Freaks, volume one and volume two. And it was filled with testimonies and stories of martyrs throughout the centuries of, of disciples that follow Jesus. And I remember reading that in high school and absolutely bawling and getting wrecked. Because I'm like, yo, I don't even know if I can live for Jesus, let alone die for Jesus. I, I'm sharing this tonight to, to help us understand the faith that we have now been grafted into. To help us realize who those in the cloud of great witnesses are. Like there are people who literally paid a price to follow after Jesus with everything they had. Like that's what we are a part of. And we have to come back to what Jesus is asking for in this moment. Is that we would truly follow him with everything we have. What we need in this moment aren't woke Christians, socially aware Christians... We need disciples who will pick up their cross and follow him. In James chapter 4 verse 4, it says it so clearly that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Like God doesn't mince words in the Bible. He says, yo, if you're friends with the world, you ain't my friend. Like he's looking for us to follow him. Once again, grace is eternal. He's so gracious. He's given us a window of time to respond. Leonard Ravenhill says it like this. He, he says it in, 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 in when it comes to revival. But he says the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, he has given us a time to respond to what he's asking for. Yes, he's gracious. I'm not trying to change that at all. But even think about the woman that's caught in adultery. She's dragged out. People want to kill her. Jesus, you know, does the whole thing. He writes on the ground. People drop their rocks. They walk away. And Jesus says, where have your accusers gone? And she says, they're all gone. It's only you. In other words, Jesus is the only one who's perfect, who's holy, who has any right to judge. And listen to what he says. He says, then neither do I judge you. Hallelujah for grace. Amen. I don't judge you. Now leave your life of sin. Let's not forget what he calls us to in them. I don't judge you. So now you are free to leave these things behind. Like that's the cost. All of us are imperfect. Amen. All of us struggle, but we can't be comfortable staying where we're at when the call is a person. One of my friends, he's this fiery guy. We're going to get him at Pursuit Conference next year. I already booked him. Right? I told him, yo, you can't get any bigger than you are right now because I can't afford you. But he just, his name is Luke, Luke Lefevre. He just did this conference with Matt Chandler, Jenny Allen called Consecrate. And this is what he says He says that the lack of our holiness only reveals the poverty of our love for Jesus. The lack of holiness we have. It reveals that our love for Jesus, we're not as fiery or as passionate as we think we are. Like, that's all of us. But I don't want to stay there. I want to respond and keep coming back to Jesus. Amen? Like, that's what he's calling us to in this moment. Is that we would fall in love with Jesus. I mean, what does it mean to love God? Is it that you, you, you have, you know, you read the Bible... What does it mean to let you do your QTs? Like, I think yes to all of it. But if you want, like, the simplest thing that Jesus says is John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, then you will obey me. Like, he doesn't mince words once again. He says, if you love me, then obey me. Obedience is God's love language. He's saying that we would obey Too many of us are waiting for a feeling, a conviction to respond to what's already in His Word. But God is waiting for our obedience to adhere to what He has already said. Guys, I love feelings. If you've been to any of our events, you know I'm a feeler. I'm crying, right? Every conference we have, there's photos of me crying. Thanks a lot, photographers, right? You know, I want a refund, you know. How dare you? Like Crying on stage, crying over there, you know. Like, I'm a feeler. I love feelings. I know some churches, they're anti-feelings. I'm not anti-feeling. I love feelings. I think God is a feeler, amen, right? Just look at Psalms. Like, no, no thinker can write these things. But I would say this about feelings. Feelings are a great servant, but a terrible master. Feelings can serve what I feel like God is doing. It can serve my discernment, but guess what? It can't lead my discernment because I'll lead from my comfort zone. I'll lead based on how I actually feel. Feelings are a good thing, but we must get to a place of maturity where we're not led by feelings, but by his spirit and his word can I give you an example? I don't need to wait till I feel convicted before, right, like this is an example because, you know, I'm single, okay, right? I don't need to wait for a feeling of conviction to stop sleeping with my girlfriend because I know his word already condemns that as sin. Many of us are waiting to feel convicted enough To say no to a certain sin in our life when God's word is very clear on what it already says. Like I'm coming hard tonight. I'm making us all uncomfortable tonight. Because when did we believe to follow Jesus would ever be comfortable? Like the ways of the cross isn't comfortable. But can I tell you that's the only way to life. Like, once again, Jesus is to, to, in order to find life, you have to die. Like, in order to be first, you have to be last. Right? So what's the key then? It's repentance. Right? Repentance is always, even if you failed a thousand. Once again, I don't want to separate God's great grace and love and mercy from us, from what he's asking of us. Because his grace is what actually allows us to do that thing. I want to say it like this. Grace is the deposit in your life that allows you to pay the price God asks you to. It's the deposit of his grace that enables us to pay the price. So what is loving God? It's obedience. To love me is to obey me. Jesus says it clear. What does that look like practically? To love what he loves and hate what he hates. I want to help us here so that we can live a life of obedience. Amen. Right? Anyone need help or is it just me? Obedience will never be the product of my striving. I'll never be able to be holy by trying to be holier. I can't make myself holy. I have to come back and center myself on the person of Jesus. But what does the enemy do? He clouds us with shame so that we run away from Jesus instead. The first thing we should do when we fall, when we sin, when we mess up is go to Jesus. But that's oftentimes the last thing we would want to do. Oftentimes what we do is we busy ourselves with Christian activity, trying to make up for that which we can't make up. We're trying to get enough credit or build enough wealth, right, for, uh, for a figure of speech way to pay a debt we can't pay. Another way is to say a debt that's already been paid. Once again, I'm speaking to leaders. Before any of us were called to lead, we were called to love. But before any of us were called to love, we were simply called beloved. So what do I do in that moment? I have to fight the urge to run away from God to come to God in that moment. Like that's grace and seizing that window of time to come to grace. A conscience that is alive is a blessing. But you know what kills our conscience? Compromise. You know what compromise does? Left unchecked, it leads to apathy. Apathy leads to death. I've heard it said this way, apostasy, which is, you know, a a fancy theological Christian word of leaving the faith. Apostasy, it's death apostasy is death by a thousand cuts of apathy right in that moment once again so many of us are waiting for a feeling to turn to the Lord we're waiting for the the gushiness of God to come and and and, and soften my heart and yes he will do that but can we get to a place of maturity where I don't have to wait to to return to him but I will return Let me say it like this. Your spiritual spiritual maturity can be measured by how long it takes for you to repent after you sin. Many of us, if I sin, let me me take a vacation here in my sin. Right? Let me take off my shoes. If I'm on sin, let me just chill here. Let me order some drinks here. Right? But our maturity is I sin. Let me turn to the Lord. Think about King David. King David was known as what? A man after God's own heart. But have you ever read the story about King David's life? Like sometimes I read it to feel good about myself. Like, bro, I never did what you did, dog. Like, right? But even despite his adultery, murder, like this man would have gotten canceled in 2021. But think about all that he did, but what did God still call him? A man after God's own heart. Why? When he was confronted with his sin, guys, you need friends that will call you out on your BS. Like people who will love you enough to tell you the truth. Amen? Anyone have a friend like that? Anyone wish they didn't have a friend like that? That's me, right? Right? I have one friend, he's like, Sam, I'm going to get you to the gym. I'm like, bro, I'm busy all of 20, I'm busy till 2025. He's like, Sam, we got to get you in the gym. You got to do ministry a long time. I'm like, bro, I just want to meet Jesus. Like finding, like making up spiritual excuses, you know. Like he tells me what I don't want to hear. So David, he has a prophet confront him. And this is the difference, like this has, this is like additional teaching tonight, right. This is the difference between King Saul, who God condemns as wicked and King David, who's full of flaws, who makes mistakes, and is still called the man of, after God's own heart. If you look at the sin that Saul committed, which was Samuel said, Yo, don't, don't take for yourself the best sheep and lamb and, and goats and farm animals. Don't keep the treasure. Like, slaughter everything. Slaughter the king of your enemy. Like, slaughter everything. And Saul reasons, you know what? Wait, it, it would actually be a waste to kill all of these goats. I mean, come on, we could sacrifice this at the altar. It'll look good. How many of you know that's not as wicked as David sleeping with his boy's wife and then getting his boy killed? Are you with me tonight? When Saul is confronted with his sin, and he's, he's judged in that moment, he's corrected in that moment, it's brought into the light in that moment, what does Saul say? But, but, but honor me in the sight of man. Like, Samuel, like, let's not make this public. And in that moment, God's like, yo, I already found someone else. But look at Davidson, which was, in our understanding, way worse, right? Like, way more wicked, way more perverse, all that you want to say. And yet, in that moment, when David is confronted with sin, he he prostrates himself. He rips his garments, and he starts repenting. So much so, the elders are embarrassed for him. And they're like, oh, David, how about you eat something? He, like, doesn't respond. I believe that's why David was a man after God's own heart, because he was quick to repent and return to the Lord, no matter how grave his sins were. But can we be people who are mature to respond to the Lord quickly, swiftly, that we won't elongate our compromise? we will be quick to turn to the Lord. Because once again, a conscience is a gift. I want to ask you know, someone from the worship team to come and help me close this. But I, w- I want to present this to us together is how long will we allow the season we're in to keep us from returning to the Lord? How long will we procrastinate Us coming and responding to the Lord. I mean, once again, we we try to make ourselves righteous first before we go to the Lord. But once again, our main text is what? Even now, even now, like right now in this moment, don't wait any longer. Return to the Lord with all your heart. I mean, what's the great command to love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength? So many of us are waiting to get strong enough so that we can love the Lord with all your strength. But what if that means you loving God in your weakness is you loving God with all your strength? Because sometimes our strength is high. Sometimes our strength might be non-existent. But if I choose to turn to him wherever state I'm in, That's returning to him with all our heart. He doesn't say return with when your heart is intact, it's beating. No, come with your heart that's broken, withered, jaded, messed up, compromised. It doesn't matter what state you're in, but just come even now. So many of us, we wait till, you know, like I speak to a lot of youth. So many of them wait till next retreat to get right with God. They wait for the next conference, the next worship night to get right with God. Can we be people? As soon as we sense any distance from the Lord, we'll be quick to come to him. Not because we feel anything, not because we feel convicted, but because his invitations, even now, come with all your heart. Sometimes I have to love him with nothing in my heart. But if I come to him, that's me obeying his word. I don't need to wait for any of these feelings. So my next question after how long will you allow your season to keep you from returning is, how long will you wait for a feeling? Many of us really seek the Lord when we're in pain. Like pain is a gift from God. I can't remember the title of the book right now, but it's this book by Philip Yancey. I think it's, Where is God When It Hurts? If you're in pain, read that book. Because he goes on to say that pain is the gift of not an evil God, but a good God who is a genius. Right? How does he start with that conclusion? He looks at people who physically can't feel pain, which are people with leprosy. We think leprosy is like a skin disease where, like, your body falls apart. But leprosy is actually damage to your nerves where you can't feel pain. The reason why, like, their their nose starts to fall off is like things are like abrasive to the nose, but they can't feel it, so their nose just starts to deteriorate. Like that's literally what leprosy is. So there are modern lepers today. What he's noticed is that there are people where let's say a door uh, a doorknob that looks like literally no doorknob I'm looking at a door to point to but like guys look there's literally no doorknob in this room right but, I'm like surprised myself let's say there's a doorknob that is jammed a normal human being can only go to a certain threshold before they're like oh we can't bust this open because they don't feel pain or, or they'll start to feel pain or discomfort are you guys with me But a leper will go all the way and they'll like even damage their hand and like break a bone and like scratch up their fingers because they don't feel any pain. Pain is the divine gift of God that says something is off, something is wrong. Another leper that he looks at is this uh, uh, salesman that loves to wear alligator leather shoes. Like These are like real people that he met. And even though the shoe doesn't like fit right and his feet are literally being mangled and falling apart, he still wears it because he can't feel pain. All that to say that pain is a gift that causes us to pay attention to the moment we're in. Many of us, including myself, have sought the Lord in seasons of pain and it was actually a gift and his mercy to us. But what does maturity look like It's pushing past God or or pushing past my feeling, what I'm into. Because many of us seek God till we find relief. I believe God is looking for mature disciples that will seek God, not until they find relief, but until they see revival. Many of us want God to save us from our problems. Few want God to save us from our sin. Like, that's what lukewarm Christianity is. We want God to save me from my issue. But God, this sin right here, like, that's what I go to when I'm tired, when I'm broken, when I need comfort. But I'm calling people tonight to a place of maturity of let's return with everything we have. A couple more questions. When was the last time you wept over your sins? I'm not saying when was the last time you wept because you were sinned against. But when was the last time you wept over your sins? Like like it convicted on me. Like I wasn't just sorry, I was devastated when was the last time you wept over your sin before the Lord? Can I be really honest tonight? I remember when I first got saved in high school, you know, like, one of the biggest sins I struggled with was pornography. Right? Like, I remember reading this study. Like, once again, I like Google and read all these crazy things. There was this study that was done in Canada, right? Where they're trying to find uh, men under the age of 18 that has never been exposed ever, and they couldn't find anyone, so the study got closed, right? Like, like, it's a real, like, thing. Like, they're trying to find it, couldn't find it, right? Like, that's just how much it's infiltrated culture and society. So I remember when I first got saved when I was 17, like, this is before the smartphone, you know? Like, right now, if you want to sin, you, you, you got your smartphone, Right? Like, this is how old I am. I had to, I stole a, a VCR tape, right? And that's, that was what I used to indulge my sin, right? Like, think about, like, how, like, foreign that I have to, like, rewind, you know, like, in shame, like, whatever, right? <laughs> right? I remember one time I was so convicted. I was like, this is the last. I, I took it, and, like, I found, like, golf clubs, in my, and I just smashed the tape And I remember wailing as I did it because I was so grieved by my sin before the Lord. Where I wasn't just asking God, forgive me this time. But I was devastated by my sin before the Lord. And I want to ask you, when was the last time you wept over your sin and not just because someone sinned against you? Like when was the last time you wept because you had unforgiveness in your heart more than the fact that they wounded you. I'm not trying to dismiss these things, but I want us to get to the place where we're honest before the Lord. Like we're either going to take what's written in here seriously, or we don't. Like my favorite current term in culture is Christian Buddhists. Many people today are Christian Buddhists Where it's all about a vibe. I pick and choose what makes sense to me in the word, what I like. Because God is all about love. I'm spiritual, man. But we either take his word at full or we don't at all. Like, think about what it says. Like, yo, you have issues with someone else. This is what God prioritizes. He says, leave your offering at the altar. And go and say you're sorry first. We either take his word seriously or we don't. I remember seeing like when things get inflamed in culture and there's so much back and forth. Like Jesus makes it so clear, right? Like it's so elementary that we forget it. But it has to be central. And what does Jesus say when people are arguing and judging and accusing? He's like, why do you look at the speck of dust in someone else's eye when you have a wood plank in your own? Like when was the last time we lived by that word? Like we're quick to cancel, we're quick to judge. But listen, it might be a, a speck of dust when I have a plank in my own eye. Like I hear all these crazy stories and I'm just like, dude, when have we gotten so far away of what it means to be a disciple? I believe it's time for us to return with all our hearts. I want to read one more passage, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And I think this can be said of many Christians today. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands and walks among the The seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I think that could be said of all of us here. Like if you're still at church in October of 2021 this is you we've persevered we've tested pres- wicked presidential I mean wicked or whatever it says right we've done all these things but what does he hold against us you have forsaken your love you had at first consider how far you have fallen repent and do the things you did at first this is his grace to us that it comes with the window because if you do not repent, I will come to you and give you more grace. No, it doesn't say that. It says, remove your lampstand from its place. But there is a call for us to respond in this moment. But I love what it says. You have fallen. You have forgotten. You have forsaken your first love. So what does he tell us to do? Repent and do you first did how many are grateful that it doesn't say repent and feel what you first felt because i i'm not in control of my feelings i can't cry on cue let alone feel love for god when when i'm struggling with all these things but what can i do in that moment i can still do what i first did that's called repentance even now Joel 2 verse 2 return to me with all your heart I'm so thankful he doesn't qualify our hearts he just wants all of it he just wants all of it come with all your heart but you might say but this part is just come with all your heart next part says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts and just don't go through the motion. Don't just, you know, let this moment slip by. But come and be honest before the Lord. Why? Because he's compassionate, slow to anger, gracious. Because he wants to restore to us that which the locusts have eaten because He wants to pour out His Spirit so that our old men will will prophesy and our young men will see visions that God will bring ultimate justice. But what does all of that hinge on? Us returning with all our hearts. It's not a feeling. It's returning. I want to help you tonight. The key to prayer is prayer. Right? The key to prayer is prayer. You know what happens when you don't feel like praying? You're like, God, uh, I don't even know what to say. and uh, God's like, yo, you're praying. When you're like, God, I, uh, I don't even know what to say and I feel like I should be... Conv- God's like, oh my gosh, you're praying. Because here's what I know. It's the moment I start just opening up. Because what's the point of rending your heart? It's to open it up. Sometimes it starts when I start praying for other people. And I start praying about, like, things I don't even, like, God, I pray for global warming. Like, you just start praying, like, random things. And as you pray... Prayer starts to be unlocked within you. Have like, you ever noticed you're like, I pray for global warming, and then you're like just weeping over your sins. Like oh, That's an next I've never prayed for global warming, right? Prayer begets prayer. And tonight, I believe the call is simple. Return to me with all your hearts. And my encouragement I give to all of us, it's less press through, until there's breakthrough many of us wait for the breakthrough to come then we press through but let's press through until the breakthrough comes what's the breakthrough? it's not the promotion it's not the miracle as much as it's it's my heart being open for the Lord that's the breakthrough I need so I want to pray and I want to open up the altar here for us to return I believe this with all my heart physical obedience unlocks spiritual breakthrough what do i mean by that us responding in faith develops momentum in the spirit that carries us all the way to breakthrough oh, sam i don't know if that's biblical you know the scene where the israelites are fighting and when moses's hands are lifted up they're winning but check this out there's so much power in us in our physical obedience That even when Moses isn't lifting it himself and others are, there's still victory. Me loving the Lord with all my heart is lifting my hands, not just when I feel like it, but when I don't. So many of us think, but if I do that when I don't feel like it, I'm being fake. But can I tell you something? When you do it, when you don't feel like it, that's not you being fake, that's you having faith. Faith is what God is looking for. It's impossible to please God without faith. God, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters here tonight that you would give us faith beyond feelings to press through until we see breakthrough. Teach us maturity. Teach us maturity. God, I thank you, God, that in your word, Romans chapter 5, you've given us a blueprint to maturity. Rejoice whenever trials and testing comes because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work, that you may have character and character that leads to hope. God give us that kind of maturity tonight. Testing that produces perseverance that produces maturity that produces character, that produces hope in you. So Father God, move in us tonight. Holy Spirit, grow us up tonight. I want to invite you just right where you are to pray, to respond. The altar is open. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Rend not your garments, but rend your hearts. God, we want to respond. We want to return. Come on, let's lift our voice right now in faith. Stand if you must stand. Kneel if you must kneel. Come to the front if you must. But let us respond in faith tonight. That we can seize what God wants to do. Because we're living in this moment where it's becomes about so many other things. But what are we repenting? Coming back to the person of Jesus. And we're coming back to Jesus tonight.